Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up the week. I'm still in San Antonio for the cattle industry convention. The sun's out. It's actually warming up here because I'm leaving town later today. It was warm before I got here. It's been cool while I'm here, and it'll be nice now as I'm leaving, probably. Well, the cattle industry convention going on here, so much to talk about. And we're happy to have with us uh, the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Colin, I was asking you uh, before we went on the air, what's the mood that you're picking up here? And, you know, you've had some victories at the end of last year on trade especially and waters of the U.S., uh, but there are still concerns out there. But you said overall you feel it's a pretty upbeat mood here. It's a very upbeat mood, and I measure that just from the conversations that I have in the hallway and the trade show. And you're right, there's still a lot of concern. The hangover from the Tyson fire in Holcomb last year is is still very much on everybody's minds in the discussion of uh, what do we do to prevent that moving forward. But when you look back at the recovery that we have seen in the cattle market, you couple that with a tremendous list of wins, EPA wins, trade wins, et cetera, uh, it's, it's given everybody a little bit of optimism and hoping that 2020 will be a very good year for us. Some some issues uh, for this year. You've got a you've got a legal challenge on the checkoff that you're involved with. We are. This is a big case for us as an association, which is also a contract for the National Beef Checkoff, but also to the industry as a whole. And of course, this goes back to the RCAF lawsuit against the Montana Beef Council and USDA. Uh, we have been fighting this now for a couple of years, and we just last week received a very favorable ruling from the magistrate who was looking at this. And this is all about about whether or not there is appropriate USDA oversight of these programs. And the magistrate came forward and said, yes, it very much is uh, properly administered, it's properly uh, audited, the oversight is strong, and we ensure that those dollars are being used as they're intended, and that's for promotion, not for lobbying. So that was a, a good movement, but it's only one step in the process. It still needs to go to the district judge, who hopefully will rule sometime here this spring. No doubt a lot of commodity checkoffs are watching this case closely. Absolutely because what happens here is definitely going to be able to spill over into the other checkoffs. And when you look back at the Farm Bill and the amendments that were filed in both the House and Senate to really go after checkoffs, we know that we have to do everything we can to protect these and also continue to educate not only producers but members of Congress on just how successful these programs have been. I know you're also going to be involved in the defense of the new WOTUS rule that's going to be up against some legal challenges. You know, one of the concerns about a win in Washington, D.C. is that they're usually pretty short-lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get it, and then there's a new administration or a new Congress or some sort of legal challenge, and that's what we're seeing with WOTUS right now. Not only challenges on the repeal of the WOTUS rule, but also challenges on the replacement rule that was put in place a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we have to remind everybody that this is not about rolling back water regulation. It's about rolling back who's regulating it. Mm-hmm. So we're not all of a sudden saying that water's not going to be regulated anymore. It's just making sure we know the jurisdiction of where the federal government is and where local government is. And getting that message out, I think, is is key and especially going to be a big part of our defense of both of these actions, the repeal and the replacement of WOTUS. We're talking with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. You told us um, well, towards the end of last year uh, that uh, the beef industry was going to be very aggressive in speaking out about these imitation meat products and you're going to get your message out and you are doing that. We are, and we have been very happy with the response that we have received. Uh, it, it is something that's, of course, on everybody's mind, and the question truly is, uh, if, if they are going to operate in the beef space, they need to be upfront and honest about what they truly are. In the past, they have spent all of their time marketing their product by disparaging ours, and that's not the way we do it, and that's not the way most successful companies do it. So being able to have legislation introduced, which we have done, which will help uh, 
provide an easier pathway to challenge those marketing claims is something that is uh, currently under consideration in both the House and Senate, and also making sure we protect that term beef. And this legislation will do that by defining beef and also ensuring that if it's ever used in a package, it has to say imitation in front of it in the same font, the same size, and the same color. This ties into what I think the bigger issue moving forward for agriculture in general, the beef industry in particular in this case, and that is environmental issues, sustainability, because uh, one of the attractions, I guess, for some people to these imitation products is somehow they think they're saving the planet by eating them because they've bought into this uh, idea that somehow the the, the cattle uh, raising and beef production is harming the environment. So this is kind of the battle, right, to get the message out there that uh, you, the beef industry, you're not part of the problem. You're really part of the solution here. That's right, and that's really been a prevailing theme throughout our time here in San Antonio is sustainability, sustainability, sustainability. Secretary Purdue brought it up when he was on stage. Randy Block with Cattle Facts talked about it. And a lot of times our members, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners right now, they hear that term sustainability and they roll their eyes. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, here we go again. We all have, need to understand it's not going away. The consumer is looking at this. The companies are looking at this. It's not something that we can put our head in the sand and just ignore. As one of our former presidents once said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And that's why we continue to talk about it. It's We shouldn't look at this as an attack. We should look at this as an opportunity because you're right. We have a great story to tell. We have all the facts and figures on our side. When you look at EPA, EPA even talks about the fact that we are only 2% of greenhouse gases. That is great information that we need to get out to the consumer. The voices that are critical of the beef industry, sometimes they sound bigger and louder uh, than they really are, you know, that they represent more than you, but sometimes it's that squeaky wheel thing, and that's why you have to take it seriously, right? I mean, you can't just say well, we got the facts, we're not going to worry about it. You have to get that story out, that message out. That's right, because when you look at society today, it's all about sound bites, whether that's a sound bite here on a radio program, whether it's on TV, whether it's on social media. So you need to make sure that you're always concise, you have the facts, you're quicker than your opposition, and you're louder than your opposition. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. And if we can continue to do that, I think that we will be able to change the dynamic of this discussion here over the course of the next year. Real quick, we talked so much trade last year, and it's not done, obviously. There's enforcement, uh, implementation of these trade deals that I know you're very much watching. Especially on the China side. You yeah. know, the phase one deal is great, but we still have the tariffs. We still have issues of wondering whether or not they're going to follow through and buy our product. So a lot of questions, and that is what we're going to be watching probably more closely than anything else on the trade side is how does China actually respond in buying our product? Because great opportunity over there but only if they follow through on what they committed with. Right. Yeah, I think opportunity and reality. The, the, we've got to get those two together, right? There is opportunity, but we've got to see it happen. That's right, but we do know that the U.S. Trade Representative and even all the way up to the White House, they're spending their time working on this. Uh, China is a big priority for the president, and he knows what this means to us. So we're going to continue to work with him to make sure that China follows through. And hopefully next year we can talk about China being our top export market. That'd be great. Always have plenty of challenges, but you've got some accomplishments uh, to hang your hat on, too. So uh, look forward to a good 2020. Thank you, Mike. Always good to be with you. Good to see you. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. More to come from here in San Antonio, the Cattle Industry Convention, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Renewable Fuels Association's 25th Annual National Ethanol Conference will be held February 10th through the 12th in Houston, Texas. Speakers include USDA Undersecretary for Trade Ted McKinney, Neil Curler, founder and CEO of Pacific Ethanol, Inc., and political analyst Bill Crystal. Registration is still available. For more information or to register, visit www.nationalethanolconference.com. This message brought to you by Syngenta, maker of Enogen, enhancing fuel ethanol production and supporting American farmers. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the National Pork Producers Council has digital ads in the Des Moines airport saying pork 
It comes from a pig, not Silicon Valley, and pork, you can't make it from plants unless you feed them to a pig first. Let's talk about it with Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us. Obviously, uh, the pork industry responding to all these imitation products on the marketplace now using the name of pork. Absolutely. You know, this is, (laughs) we feel probably the most brazen uh, misuse of a term so far uh, by this this new plant-based industry. I don't think there's really any confusion out there that pork comes from a pig. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And back in San Antonio for the Cattle Industry Convention, we're going to talk trade with Kent Backus with NCBA. Let's start with USMCA. On my other side here, I got my Canadian friend Sean Haney, who tells me that USMCA is going to be approved in Canada soon, right? March? March. Late March. March. Okay, so that will hopefully get done and we get that final step done. Kent, um, what? I keep thinking, and in many ways, uh, it's kind of just certainty. It kind of keeps what we had. I know there are some improvements for dairy and some things like that, but just that certainty, right, is is so key moving forward with USMCA. I think that's fundamental to the success of beef producers, you know, all across the United States is knowing that we're going to have that strong access to Canada and Mexico. These are two of our top five export markets, and, you know, we're not the only people selling beef into Canada and Mexico. Now that Canada and Mexico are part of the TPP, we have competition from Australia and New Zealand and other parts of the world. And, you know, we have a competitive a competitive advantage in both Canada and Mexico because of NAFTA. We've had duty-free, unrestricted access, and as a result, our industry has invested millions of dollars and invested many years in developing and marketing U.S. beef to customers in both of those countries. The last thing we want to do is lose that competitive advantage. So I think that the passage of USMCA, the ratification of USMCA, it sends a strong message that we still have a strong North American economy. And it also brings that certainty that we need so that we can now focus on other markets. You make a good point. We have competition in Canada and Mexico. But let's look at Mexico. 
Could that be a growth market for U.S. beef? I think we've seen tremendous growth uh, over the last 20 years. It, it's it's kind of leveled off over the last few years. Some of that is due to the uncertainty. Some of that's also due to the strength of the U.S. dollar. Uh, I mean, I think that plays uh, plays into a lot of it. And also, you know, we're selling some of those similar cuts that we used to market solely in Mexico. We're selling a lot of that in Asia, too. So I still think that Mexico is going to be a great market for us. I don't think that we have developed it to its full potential. But I think that, uh, you know, now that we have that long-term certainty in the Mexican market, it's going to mean that we're going to have a lot more opportunities down the road. Let's switch to China got phase one deal done but we don't know when it really kicks in the coronavirus kind of slows that down even more um when do you think we'll start really seeing that kick in the uh the phase one trade deal well i think you know some of the some of the the non-tariff barriers are going to go away in spite of the coronavirus regardless of that we're still going to see the uh, bse restriction lifted we're going to see the book and traceability requirements go away uh, but you're right. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that this is a serious issue in China. The coronavirus has, has killed many people, and the Chinese government is, is trying to isolate and contain it. And the only way they can do that is to shut down certain areas. So the inability to move products and to move people uh, through different provinces is going to have an impact on the overall economy. It's also going to it's going to delay our ability to develop those supply chains into China. All that set aside, we are we have a lot of positive momentum moving forward and I think that you know, we will continue to push forward. We'll continue to open that Chinese market because unfortunately, you know, events like this happen. But the economy's rebound and I think that, you know, for us in the US beef industry, the biggest concerns, the biggest barriers are behind us. And now we just have to you know, adjust and, and continue to push forward. But economic problems in China could also keep slow this down too, right? I mean, their ability to purchase beef products. I think I think that uh, yeah, China has a lot of issues related to this, and um, they have commitments to purchase U.S. beef and and other U.S. agricultural commodities. Uh, you know, Chinese. Uh, the Chinese economy has uh, has been very resilient. Has the ability to bounce back quickly. So I, I don't think we need to, you know, forecast you know massive losses or anything like that. I think it's premature to to have any of those kind of expectations. Simply because we don't know the whole story. We don't know, you know, if this has turned a corner uh, or if we could expect this to get even worse. Uh, but for us in the beef industry. Got to keep in mind, it's going to take us a few years to develop those markets to the, in China because China is a very diverse market in and of itself, just like the United States is. We're going to have to market to consumers all over China, and we're going to have to develop supply chains to those consumers. So it's going to take time. This is not a sugar rush. This is about long-term growth. And, uh, you know, I know that we have, we've talked about this before, but you got to think of the China deal as we just got this really great gift Christmas morning. We just unwrapped it. We're ready to take it out and, and go put it to use. But first, we've got to put it all together. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're really going to focus on for the next year. So you know, while we need that growth, we need that relief, you know, in uh, especially the rural economy here in the U.S., we have to keep in mind, this is our long-term investment, and this will pay off great dividends in the future. And for now, we just need to focus on, on getting it up and running. Talking with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. More immediate results are being seen in Japan. That trade deal kicked in first of the year, and we're seeing the uh, benefits of that. Absolutely. Uh, that That's probably the, the biggest victory for us. Uh, the, the Japanese market's a $2 billion market for us, and that's with a 38.5% tariff. The fact that that tariff's already dropped to 26.6%, it's going to drop again on April 1st, and it'll continue to drop until it gets to 9% in about 15 years. The best part about it is we're going to be paying the same tariff rates as every other major exporter into that market. And we know that when you when you put U.S. beef against our competitors, Japanese consumers prefer U.S. beef. I mean, the markets have shown that. Our growth in recent years has definitely shown that. We're going to do very well in the fresh and chilled beef. We're going to have strong frozen beef sales. 
one issue that we're going to run into is going to be that volume-based safeguard. Because we because US beef is so popular in Japan, you know, we're probably going to trigger that volume-based safeguard later this year. You know, I think the the wisdom the wisdom of our negotiators is that they included a provision that requires immediate renegotiation of the safeguard once that's triggered. So uh, we know that we've got a good team of negotiators that are committed to doing this. They know how important Japan is for the U.S. beef industry. And so we feel very confident that even when we hit that trigger, we're gonna ha- we have faith that our government's actually going to move forward and be able to uh, renegotiate that to represent the true demand and true needs in Japan. Uh, this is a great opportunity for us. Now all of a sudden we hear the administration trying to work a, a trade deal with Kenya. Mm-hmm. Are there opportunities for beef there? You know, I we don't know yet. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Kenya hasn't been the the top of our list. I know for uh, for a lot of manufactured goods and services, that's that's a that's a good thing. And honestly, I think uh, you know, in the future, Africa is going to be a, a good opportunity for U.S. beef and other U.S. agricultural goods. I think we have a chance to have a a great conversation about the importance of science-based trade. I think a lot of our trade partners in Africa would much rather have an American-style approach to food production where you use technology and you focus on food safety and animal health as opposed to the European style that's been forced on them for many years, which is we don't have any evidence to show that these technologies aren't safe, but we're just going to go ahead and not allow you to use them anyway. Well, you can't allow people to rise above their station if they can't become more efficient. That's what these technologies enable us to do. And so, you know, we would want to work with many of our trade partners in Africa to obviously help them have, you know, better returns, more efficiency. That creates more stability. Big demand for genetics. That's that's exactly right. You create more stability in in Africa. That means, you know, the United States has a trade partner and not a country that we're, or or an area where we're trying to, to help promote stability. You mentioned Europe. Um, I thought all along, good to try, but boy, we've been at this for 30 years trying to work out these differences. It seems hard to imagine that that's we're really close to all of a sudden they're going to just say, okay, now we're going to open up to you for especially on beef, given the long history of problems there. Oh, I, I think you know, and, and if anyone knows how to hold a grudge for a long time, it's the Europeans, and uh, I definitely think that that's going to be a tough negotiation. But, you know, people thought that we would never see the day where we would be able to, you know, send beef uh, with, you know, from uh, uh, cattle that had been treated with hormones. People thought that that day would never come where we could send that beef to China, and here we are. You know, people, Oh, it took 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> people thought that we would never see the day, like, when, when Korea and Japan would be the big markets mm-hmm. they are. I mean, these are these are markets that used to be really scared of us. I think we've got big opportunities in Europe. That's why you keep working on them, right? That's right. And it's and it, hopefully it'll pay off. And as you said, we've had a lot of successes. Hopefully there'll be more coming up. Kent, good to see you. Thank good you. Good to see you, too. Thank you. Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay tuned. We have more coming up here in San Antonio from the Cattle Industry Convention on Adams on Agriculture. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invegor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Renewable Fuels Association's 25th Annual National Ethanol Conference will be held February 10th through the 12th in Houston, Texas. Speakers include USDA Undersecretary for Trade Ted McKinney, Neil Curler, founder and CEO of Pacific Ethanol, Inc., and political analyst Bill Crystal. Registration is still available. For more information or to register, visit www.nationalethanolconference.com. This message brought to you by Syngenta, maker of Enogen, enhancing fuel ethanol production and supporting American farmers. 
Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you what you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests who are important to the ag industry. It's information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. After closing limit up on Thursday, hog futures on the Board of Trade continue to rally. The latest data from the USDA shows that U.S. pork exports to China have been on the rise since September, giving traders further hope the African swine fever is starting to be realized. Limits are extended today following the hog contracts rise of three cents per pound yesterday, with the extended limit being four and a half cents today. An hour into the trading day, April lean hogs trading 30 cents higher at 65.17. The May contract up 22 cents at 73.52. April feeder cattle down 15 cents at 137.42. The May contract down 42 cents at 139.62. April live cattle up 7 cents at 119.80. June down 5 at 111.12. Export sales of corn, wheat, soybeans, and products all hit levels needed to achieve their respective USDA forecast last week. Traders will be looking forward to the February 11th WASDE report as well as the February 15th date when the Phase 1 agreement officially goes into effect. The USDA says it will not adjust its demand figures for grains to account for the U.S.-China trade deal signed last month in its monthly WASDE report due out Tuesday. On the Board of Trade, May soybeans trading a penny lower at 8.93 and three quarters of a cent. May corn up two and three quarters at 3.87 and a quarter of a cent. May Minneapolis spring wheat two and a fraction of a cent higher at 544 and three quarters. May Kansas City wheat up four cents at 478 and a half cent. May Chicago wheat up three and three quarters of a cent at 557 and a quarter of a cent. In the outside markets, the Dow was down 160 points, the NASDAQ composite down 57, the S&P 500 down 10. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We're at the Cattle Industry Convention in San Antonio, and of all the sessions that uh, take place at the Cattle Industry Convention, the ones that are always most well attended are the Cattle Facts uh, meetings because producers want to know about the markets and uh, what uh, people like Randy Block are seeing in the future, uh, especially coming up here in the near future. Randy joins us now. So what's been your message to the producers here? You got good news for them or not? Mike, I think it is really pretty good news. If you look at where we've been here over the last several years, especially the last few years, there's been a lot of uncertainty surrounding some of these trade issues. Most of those have settled now. Uh, that hasn't translated into big a big pickup in exports yet of beef and pork and poultry in the short term, but I think the long-term picture is uh, is very friendly and very positive for producers. Now, when we talk about different factors, I, I mentioned to you, I'll be back here in San Antonio in a couple of weeks for Commodity Classic, and 
they're not going to hear about uh, grain prices staying low. But here at this convention, when you're looking at feed costs, that is a positive for producers. It really is. And then, you know, a lot of our producers that uh, are here are also big farmers. So uh, we understand that. Uh, Two-sided coin, It right? is. Uh, I think most of us that are in, in livestock production are also involved in farming. So we get it. These markets do, though. They give us opportunities most every year. Last year is a perfect example. We had a spring run-up in grain prices, gave producers that were inclined an opportunity to do some risk management and, and lock in some fairly profitable price levels. And for those that did that, obviously, uh, they were selling corn in June in the futures that uh, ended up being a dollar higher than where the corn market broke too late in the fall. So I think we'll have a good rally in the spring like we normally do. We typically get up in here somewhere into that 4 to 420 area on corn. I think we'll have that again this year, and producers will be able to, even though it's a small profit, there will be a profit window there. We're talking with Randy Block with Cattle Facts. All right, let's uh, kind of go over some of the reports we've had out lately. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you take away from uh, the reports as far as what we're seeing with numbers and where we're headed? Well, Mike, I would just say, you know, you just, we can get caught up in the minutia of the numbers. Let me just let me just couch it this way. We expected that the cow herd would rebound to 31 and a half to 32 million head five years ago, because we had the demand to sort support that level of beef cow herd. That's exactly what we've done. This has really not been a expansion phase. It's been a restocking phase. The inventory numbers have come back to those levels. They're flattening out. The inventory has peaked in here. Uh, production will be at its peak the next two years. We think exports are going to pick up. Uh, for cow-calf producers out there, I really believe the calf market, we've seen the cycle lows in calf prices. They're going to start to pick up. You'll see that as early as this fall, and we'll build on that as we look at the next three to four years. So. Uh, I do not expect that we're going to go through a big downsizing phase in the in the U.S. cattle inventory. Uh, I think it'll be flatter, and then if these exports develop, as I believe they will, we'll see the herd start to inch higher again. You know, when we talk with the folks at the U.S. Meat Export Federation, they have pointed out that with all the trade headwinds of 2019, we still moved a lot of uh, uh, meat, a lot of uh, product all around the world, even in what you would have thought would have been a down year. The numbers were pretty good. They were pretty good. You know, we talked about that yesterday, Mike, in the Outlook session, that you look at how much the value of these exports has continued to increase. It was the value of beef or of all protein exports mm-hmm. in 2019 was about $18.5 billion dollars. We exported nearly 18 billion pounds of product last year. This year, we think we'll export 19 to 20 billion pounds of product, and these exports will continue to uh, grow across all proteins. I guess, you know, you hear news about signing of trade deals, and, and producers kind of think, okay, when are the markets going to jump up? It, it just doesn't work that immediately, does it? It really doesn't. You know, these things take some time. This one will take some time. It's... But there's huge opportunity. When you have a opportunity to go into one of the largest markets, the largest importing protein country today is, is China. And obviously we have a bilateral trade agreement in place now with Japan. That, that was a major accomplishment mm-hmm. for our meat industries. I believe we will be the number one supplier of, of beef protein back into Japan with either in 2020 or 2021. So let's kind of look at 2020, breaking it, breaking it down here, how you see cattle prices this year. Well, I really think we're going to have a market that's a little more range-bound, same basic range we've been in here over the last several years. And, you know, we basically have sold cattle for the last several years from about $1.05 to about $1.30 on fed cattle. I think we'll spend most of our time from buck fifteen to buck twenty-five this year. The key thing, though, is profitability. I believe the lion's share of the cattle that for the for the fourth quarter of the year, the bulk of the cattle were profitable coming out of feed yards. I believe we'll be profitable through the first half of 2020, which will carry and support the feeder cattle and calf market as we go into the second half of the year. That's why we're more optimistic for cow-calf and stocker operators. 
these numbers are big that we have on feed, but there's going to be fewer mm-hmm. cattle available as we work into the second half of the year. So you've got to look at calf prices being stronger, feeder cattle prices will be stronger, supported by the profitability in the system. Talking with Randy Block with Cattle Facts, I want to get your thoughts on these imitation meat products coming into the market, and there's a lot of question of have they already peaked, that they're going to slow down, or, or are they here to stay, or are they going to grow? Um, do you see them impacting the beef industry uh, and cattle producers' uh, profitability very much? Will they take enough market share to really be felt by beef producers? Well, I think if you look at it today, and we look at the consumption of the of the alternative proteins that are out there, uh, you know, we're looking at per capita consumption of those products of less than a, less than a pound and per person and if we look at that in contrast to what we'll consume beef pork poultry uh, and that includes turkey that'll be will be in excess of 220 pounds this year so it gives you a little bit of a perspective of of where they are in the scale i believe they will grow uh, i believe there are consumers that you know are looking for alternatives do I think that we risk losing a huge market share? Not if we do the right things. And I think the right thing we have to do is we have to get out and tell our sustainability story. I think this is critical. We have to be able to stand up, every one of us, whether it's at our local school or chamber of commerce, and tell the story about what we're doing right, what we're doing from an animal care standpoint, what we're doing from a water quality, water resource saving standpoint. What we're doing in here on, from a food safety standpoint, carbon emissions, greenhouse gas, all of this is something that there's great data on. We have a very, very good story. I want to wrap this up looking at domestic demand moving forward and global demand moving forward for beef. Yeah. Uh, what do you see on both of those fronts? Great question, Mike. I think if you go back and you look at it, is domestic demand has been phenomenal. If we look at the U.S. consumers, they've had a lot of jingle in their pocket. This economy is strong. When the economy is strong, they want to eat high-quality protein. Restaurant food service business has been strong. Retail business has been strong. Uh, We've seen a major increase of beef market share compared to the other proteins, market share of spending. We've gained 7% market share of spending on the other proteins. It's because our product really tastes good and consumers like it. Strong economy has always been good for the beef industry, right? It really has. I mean, that's critical. So that's something we have to watch. That's one of those things that has to be on our watch list. If the economy really starts to slow down or, or turn into a recession, that would pose some risk to us. Now, global demand. Global demand, if I were to, to give you a, a perspective around that, in 2003, when we had our first case of BSC, exports on a per head basis were worth $175 a head. Today, on a per head basis, exports are worth $350 wow. a head. Wow. So we've doubled. So that's what kind of risk that we have as an industry if we were to lose these markets. And I think it's important for all of us to understand that's what the, these markets are delivering back to us on a daily basis. 20% of the value of a fed animal is generated out of the export market. At one other point, uh, dairy cattle in the market, uh, what do you see moving forward there? You know, the dairy herd is, is pretty flat as it has been for 20 years, but we are seeing more and more of the dairy animals move into our right. fed cattle production system. More of the F1 crosses, a, a, a dairy beef cross, those animals are becoming more common in our, in our feed yards across the United States. It's an excellent product. If the genetics are good in those animals, it is an excellent product. I think that we'll see more of those animals continue to be fed to a high-quality endpoint uh, in the years ahead. Randy, we've covered a lot of ground, but there's a lot going on and a lot of moving parts here. But uh, appreciate your thoughts as we, I know, a lot of interest in where are we going with this. And it sounds like patience need kind of a big part of this, right? We need to be patient. We do, but I think we should be optimistic, too, and see the opportunities that are developing. Very good. 
Thank you very much. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate being with you. Randy Block with Cattle Facts as we continue here from the Cattle Industry Convention in San Antonio. Back to wrap things up. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. The Renewable Fuels Association's 25th Annual National Ethanol Conference will be held February 10th through the 12th in Houston, Texas. Speakers include USDA Undersecretary for Trade Ted McKinney, Neil Curler, founder and CEO of Pacific Ethanol, Inc., and political analyst Bill Crystal. Registration is still available. For more information or to register, visit www.nationalethanolconference.com. This message brought to you by Syngenta, maker of Enogen, enhancing fuel ethanol production and supporting American farmers. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. Kevin, you're back from a trade mission along with the U.S. Grains Council. Tell us about it. We went to uh, Vietnam and, and met with some uh, large importers there. One of the ones I'll, I'll bring up is CP Industries, and they're uh, the largest feed miller in the world. Uh, met with those folks, certainly a big customer and some people that uh, we've worked with, and the Grains Council especially has worked with for a long time. Um, also had a chance to meet with the ambassador for Vietnam, had good conversations with him about the potential uh, and the future of that market and what, you know, where it's been. It's, it's an amazing economy from where it's been just in the last 15 years. And so it's growing fast there in Vietnam. It's number three importer of DDGs, uh, six or seven in direct corn imports and, and uh, an emerging market for ethanol. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Do you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation, Important Agriculture, on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. 
Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online. Hey, it's me, your cell phone. We need to talk about something, something serious. I know you love me. I know you like using me wherever you are, but I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road, but I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And back in San Antonio as we wrap up our coverage of the Cattle Industry Convention. Joining us now is Caitlin Glover, the new Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. And we want to talk about some of the uh, big issues uh, that the cattle industry will be working on this year. Caitlin, thank you for joining us. There are a number of issues, right? Uh, kind of, Let's kind of go through some of them. What's going on with endangered species? Absolutely. So so this year is, is critical for uh, regulatory reform in a number of spaces. The Endangered Species Act is one that not only touches producers in the West, but really you see, you see those impacts across the country. So the administration at the end of last year, August of last year, uh, finalized their first set of rules, uh, regulations to to update and amend the way the Endangered Species Act works, you know some some consultation, um, some some of those listing decisions, and that's an incredibly important piece, right? Uh, and, and so looking ahead, we have additional opportunities. There are other sections of the Endangered Species Act that I, I think the administration wants to wants to improve, and and so, so supporting with them, uh, working with them to make sure that those changes work for for our industry, that's going to be a top priority. What are beef producers, especially in the West, saying needs changed most about endangered species? Well, I, I think that they would give you a very long list, right? It, it is it is particularly challenging. You know, the the one of the criticisms about the Endangered Species Act is it's a it's a limbo for 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 these animals for for these plants uh, that once you get on the list, that's it. And, and, and there's no way to, to delist. You see, uh, you know, there, there are large predator species where this is, has been a, a, a good case study, right? You get on the list, and despite all of the, the information, um, you never know quite when that tank is full. So listing and, and delisting decisions are are, are a, a big issue for, for producers, but then also just certainty, right? Uh, ranchers and uh, farmers and ranchers are, are true conservationists. You know, they want what's best for the resource. And so when the good things that they want to do for the landscape or for the watershed, when those either don't count under the act or they feel like they don't have participation in the process, um, that really disincentivizes their participation. So, so I, I think that's what you're seeing Congress trying to address, and that's certainly what the administration has has successfully addressed in that first tranche rules. Because to your point, when you can't get a, a species off that list, you can't delist. Then you build up a population of predators, right? That's mm-hmm. going that causes problems for for uh, producers. Sure. Well, and and it's it's a. It was intended as a, a conservation tool, as a recovery tool. So it was intended, like a lot of other tools, to be used when needed and then not used when not needed. And so you build up a, a large population uh, of anything, of, of a predator, of a, of a prey species, of a plant, uh, and, and it makes management of that, that whole ecosystem just a lot harder. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that way. And it's not just in the West in that case that we see it throughout the country. Uh, let's talk about grazing permits that's always a huge issue absolutely yeah so so this is another really uh, really exciting uh, opportunity that the industry has right now so a significant portion of cattle and, and sheep in this country spend some time on public lands and so we have a uh, i've been calling it a once in a generation opportunity uh, for for the last 20 years you know we've been looking at, at ways to to fix some of the the efforts uh, some of the changes that were made in the 90s and the, the early 2000s and so the BLM 
recently announced that they're uh, looking for opportunities and they want public input. They're for public meetings. They're going through the scoping process, uh, and and that's that's really encouraging. I mean, this is th this is the the probably the most basic and most effective way that producers will be able to to uh, improve their their grazing permit administration process. It's, it's also really timely because there are a number of bills uh, that have been introduced in Congress that are direct attacks on our grazing communities. Uh, there's, there's one, uh, Representative Smith from Washington introduced the Voluntary Grazing Permit Retirement Act. You know, it's masquerading as this, this great tool uh, f for business decisions for, for personal producers, or personal business decisions, uh, when in, in reality it's... It, it's it, the ultimate goal of, of the groups who support legislation like this is to get cows off public lands. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so it, it makes the regulatory input so much more, more important, right? Is it accurate to say that this administration is much more open, open to regulatory reform? I mean, that's one of the things president trump really campaigned on we're seeing it in some areas are we seeing it uh, in these areas that you're talking about absolutely i mean you look at at some of the biggest wins and this this convention has has highlighted all of the really wonderful things that have happened over over uh certainly over the last four years uh three and a half um but but really even in this last year you've seen success on the wotus the mm -hmm. waters of the united states you're seeing it, vast improvements in the national environmental policy act in grazing regs i mean it, it, it across the board um there it, it's it's a huge improvement because it's always been this struggle to, where's the balance between protecting the environment and our natural resources but also protecting the people on the land and, and how they're using as far as raising uh, livestock or, or growing uh, food in whatever way, uh, you to find that good middle ground, right? And it right. seems like it's been tipped pretty heavy towards uh, one side the last several years as far as uh, uh, restrictions and control uh, by the federal government. You see it kind of coming back now? Well, yes, but th I think the important thing here is that it's not an either-or decision. You don't have to have a healthy ecosystem or healthy business. You can business. have both, right? You can have both. It, and and there's, a, there's a huge difference between uh, preservation or protection and conservation and management. Th those, are, those are two totally different camps. Conservation and active management, you know, that is why you have people on the landscape, you have grazers on the landscape who, who actively want to make the, the system work better. But you're engaging with those resources on, on a daily basis. You're not setting them on a shelf and saying that it's better. So this could be a big year on, in these areas, right, in 2020? Absolutely. All right, Caitlin, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be talking with you about these uh, throughout the year. Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Land Lands Council, as we wrap up our coverage of the Cattle Industry Convention here in San Antonio. We will have some more information from here on our program back in studio on Monday. Hope you'll join us in. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.